Well, good morning, Liberty Heights family. Um, I've heard it said that Christianity can be summed up or that Christianity made simple is this. Do the things that stir your affections for Jesus and avoid the things that steal your affections for Jesus. The things that stir your affections for Jesus are the things that help you love Jesus more. And the things that steal your affections for Jesus are the things that um, almost feel like they impede your worship or your love or your gratefulness to him. Now, when it comes to stealing your affections, there are things that just always will. Sins will always steal your affections away from Jesus. So that's pride, that's lust, that's hatred, that's lying. Those will always take your love away from Jesus. But then there, those are immoral things, immorality, but then there's amorality, things that are just sort of neutral, but still will steal your affections for Jesus. And so we, we talked even in recent weeks, this uh, text in Hebrews that says, run with endurance the race that's set before you, um, laying aside your sin and the weight that so easily entangles us, the stuff that slows us down, the stuff that's not sin, but it's weight. Sometimes that looks like just getting caught in the entertainment of a device, There are very few times, if ever, where somebody will spend an entire day Netflix binging and go, gosh, I just love the Lord and I'm so grateful for the time that I have with him today. Very rarely, if ever, does somebody just veg out while looking at their phone and scrolling through Instagram. They're like, gosh, God is so good. He is moving in my heart in a mighty way today. You see, there are things in our lives that aren't sin, they're not bad in themselves, but they still steal our affections away from Jesus. And then there are things that stir your affections for Jesus. There there are some things that just always will, and then there are things like uh, church, godly friends, good books, music, but the things that always stir your affections for the Lord, now church is is in that, It's, uh, it's community with believers, But spiritual disciplines, reading and studying your Bible, that will always help you love Jesus more. In the life of a believer, worship will always be one of those things that can stir your affections for the Lord. It's the reason that we leave an incredible worship service like we just had, and we just feel a different passion and love and devotion for our Creator. Mission trips can do the same thing. It's the reason that you return from being in some uh, distant country and sharing the gospel. Evangelism can do that because we return and we're just on fire for what the Lord's doing in our lives. But another thing is prayer. Today we're going to talk about prayer, but before we even do um, these spiritual disciplines, it says that 12% of churchgoers claim to never, ever read their Bible. That 55%, even though we know that this stirs our affection for Jesus, 55% have never shared the gospel. And prayer is the same way. 55% of church-going adults say they pray daily, while nearly 30% say they pray monthly or never. Today we're starting a new series uh, over the core values of Liberty Heights Church, and today's core value is dependent prayer. It's what happens in the life of a believer when we genuinely believe 
that we cannot in our own self-sufficiency do something and we need God to help, we need God to provide, we need God to move. We normally will focus on prayer. Um, There's a prayer week, but then a lot of times we'll have it at the beginning of the year. And this year, because we were finishing up a walk through the entire storyline of Scripture in the series that we just finished, we decided to move it to Mother's Day, but that is such an appropriate day for a day of prayer. Because nobody in your life has likely prayed for you as much as your mom has. Nobody in your life has likely spent as much time on their knees calling out to God dependently to do something in your times of deepest hurt, in your biggest struggles and trials. Often uh, it's women who are the prayer warriors in a church and in a family. And I think that's because men don't like asking for help. I think we have something inside of us that goes, I can do this. I'll take care of it. And it's not just in men, it's just a little more common. We often see it in the I won't ask directions thing. But in this church, prayer and not savvy leadership and not creative ideas and not uh, brilliant ministry-minded people, but prayer is what our foundation is. It's what undergirds all that we do. And so today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 11 as we learn about prayer. And I promise that today's not going to be some drive-by guilting. You're not going to walk out of this place going, gosh, dude just sort of beat us over the head with the idea that we don't pray. That's not what today is. Instead, today can be an encouragement that you can have an incredible prayer life. And you might not think so, right? We, we always kind of uh, just believe that prayer is for that sweet grandmother in the family, that, that prayer is for that prayer warrior, and yet Scripture says that we all have access. Every believer has access to this incredible prayer life, that you could walk out of this place knowing that you could pursue God and have a relationship with God in prayer. The greatest leaders the church has ever known We're men and women of prayer. Martin Luther said it this way. Work, work, work. From morning until late at night. In fact, I have so much to do that I shall have to spend the first three hours in prayer. Today we're talking about dependency in prayer. And there are two necessary beliefs when it comes to depending on God. The first is I cannot do this on my own. The second is God is able to do anything. Here's our text, starting with verse 1 of Luke 11. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. 
I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Lord Jesus, let this text sink into us today, God, that we would be obedient to what your word calls us to do. God, show us today that prayer isn't for the spiritually elite. It's for anyone who knows you. God, move in a mighty way today, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Point number one today is prayer is the ultimate expression of dependence. Now, I was tempted today to kind of uh, spend time just training on how to pray because a lot of times we go, I'm not sure that I know what I'm doing. I'm not sure that I know how to pray, and yet I, I don't think that's true. See, I don't think that our, our struggle is that we're uninformed with how to pray. I think we just don't think that we need it. There's this sin called pride, and in Genesis chapter 3, which if you were with us in this last series, man, we referenced Genesis 3 a lot, this moment where creation was fractured because of sin, but, but it was because of this sin of pride. The same reason that Satan fell from heaven, the same lie that he whispered in the ears of Adam and Eve. You're worth more than God has shown you. You deserve more than he's giving you. And ever since pride has whispered its favorite words in the ear of all humanity, I can. Our community is a community of uh, high achievers, hard chargers. In this community, the average income is double what is the national average. The average education is three times what is the national average. We have accomplished so much that this whisper in our ear of I can is so prevalent, so within us that we've just bought into it. We've bought into the famous 19th century poem that says, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. This idea of depending on God just runs contrary to all of our Western ideologies. It runs contrary to everything that we've experienced in our lives because look at all that we've done. Look at what you've been able to accomplish. Look at your income. Look at your education. Look at your house. Look at your car. If I focus more, if I work harder, if I climb and climb and climb, I can. I don't know about Joe across the street, but I can. Yet prayer's two most powerful words are, I can't. It's a tough pill to swallow for us. See, Luke 11 here, it's giving the model prayer. Uh, Jesus is approached by his disciples and they say, we don't know how to pray. And for them, it really was a matter of information. They needed to know how in a lot of ways, but then Jesus drives home this urgency. And so he, he walks them through a model prayer. A lot of people will read this and go, well, if this is the Lord's prayer, this is the prayer that I need to memorize. This is the prayer that I need to pray. And so I know people um, 
coaches and, and all sorts of people who just go, this is the prayer that I pray. I don't make specific requests to God, but this is the prayer that I pray. God, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth that is in heaven. Amen. This is, a, this is a model prayer. So Jesus is showing us different aspects of what should be in our prayer life. It's praising God. Hallowed be your name. It's, it's making requests of God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. It speaks of repentance and how repentance leads us to, to forgive others. It's just a model prayer, but then he guides us into this story about a man who has a neighbor who shows up, and he says, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, obviously talking about bread, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. I want you to focus right now on uh, just, so the, the gist of the story is pretty simple. It's the middle of the night. It's the middle of the night, and someone arrives on a journey. He's a close friend of yours, and you have nothing to offer him. He's exhausted. He's thirsty. He's hungry. You have no way to bring nourishment to him, but you know your neighbor has a lot of food. And so you go to him in the middle of the night, and I love this this phrase here. I have nothing to set before him. He, He has a need that I cannot meet. He needs something I can't provide. It's a feeling of complete Dependency. Now, in an unusual um, turn of circumstances, I got to just kind of hold my son during some of worship this morning. He's one and a half, and he can do a few things in life. He can walk, he can point, he can grunt. The grunt is for emphasis. We're kind of learning it, and one of the things that happens is we'll set his fruits and vegetables before him, and he will kind of turn and point and grunt at something on top of the fridge. Usually he does it to me because he knows that I will give him things that his mother won't. Every time he's pointing to a box of Lucky Charms. I would say he loves the cereal of Lucky Charms, but he doesn't like the cereal at all. I've watched him get a handful of them and start picking out all of the cereal so that he can shovel the marshmallows into his mouth. It is candy disguised as cereal. And one day I will disciple this young man enough to know that Cinnamon Toast Crunch is the greatest cereal of all time. But in the meantime, I get it. Without those marshmallows, we wouldn't even know what Lucky Charms were. They wouldn't even be lucky, okay? Without me, he is hopeless to ever get that box of cereal. No matter how bad he wants it, no matter how clearly or unclearly he asks for it, that little body with those little legs will never, uh, at least not at this stage of life, be able to make his way up onto the counter and then make his way on top of the fridge, get that box of cereal, put it in a bowl for himself. He can't do it. He is completely dependent on me. And it's that same attitude that childlike dependence that we bring into our prayer life with God. And God wants to give you so much more than candy disguised as cereal. In this text, we see this midnight crisis, and crisis has this way of revealing our dependence, our incapability. 
I'll keep trying becomes I've tried everything. Nothing's working. I can do it myself becomes I need help. I can becomes I can't. I can't fix this situation. I can't change my spouse. I can't beat this addiction. I can't go through the self-checkout line without buying a candy bar. I can't drive past the skyline without turning in. Incapability gives birth to desperation. And now God has our attention. Now we need his help. John 15 says these words, and it says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's this illustration in John 15 of this vine and branches. And you've heard us teach on it several times because it's, it's such a huge part of what we believe about our spiritual life. That apart from Jesus, we are dead. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. It's this illustration of a tree that if its branch breaks off, it will no longer bear its own fruit. Because the fruit was never its own. It comes from the roots of the tree. It's this understanding that if a bush loses one of its sticks or twigs, that it will not bear new leaves. We're not more self-sufficient than a dying flower that is cut from the vine and put in a vase. Happy Mother's Day. Congratulations on those flowers. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. That's the entire point of it. And self-sufficiency robs us of this understanding. This idea that we can do everything ourselves robs us of dependency and prayer. But incapability and desperation lead us back to it. Psalm 77, starting with verse 1, says this. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. And in the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. Two things I want you to notice. Uh, Real quick, look at verse 1 of that. I cry aloud to God. There's no special formula for prayer. You've likely heard someone pray a prayer and you're just like, I could never, I could never do that. I could never pray like grandma prays. I could never pray like my mom prays. I could never pray like my uncle prays or my friend prays. There, there's something formulaic to it. Did you know that your prayer life doesn't have to have the these and thous of the King James Version? You don't have to follow a special acronym. Even though those are helpful, you don't have to do it that way. What we see in this first verse is this desperation. The psalmist is in the middle of a midnight trial, desperate, incapable, and crying out to God, and that's what prayer is. Prayer is crying out to God out of a desperate need, and I can't, but you can. And the second thing I want you to notice is, in the night my hand is stretched out without wearying. He's giving this idea that usually if I hold my hands out long enough, they get tired. But something about desperation, something about trials and difficulties. Have you ever had a tragedy in your life? Have you ever lost someone or lost a job or or just went through something that's absolutely gut-wrenching, found out you had a disease of some sort? Trials are like caffeine to our prayer life. Right? Crisis is like caffeine to our prayer life. It's, it goes from being this drudgery of, 
I guess I'll pray to, I can't do anything but pray because I cannot bring healing to this person. I cannot bring comfort to my family. I cannot, in my own work, get this job back. Everything is falling apart, and all I have is you. It's like someone offering you ice water, and it's 32 degrees outside. And you're like, I don't want that. But Christ is puts you in the desert, and that ice water looks so much more beautiful. Second point is prayer is faith in the belief that God is able. Able to do what? Well, the first thing he's able to do, so we'll look at two things. The first thing he's able to do, obviously he's able to do so many more than two things. We'll look at two. God is able to respond there's a man named George Mueller who's one of the greatest heroes of the faith. If you've never heard of him, you can read his autobiography that he wrote. You can, I guess that's what an autobiography is. Um, you, can, you can read many biographies. You can look up many stories on YouTube if you don't like to read. But George Mueller is a, is a hero of the faith who was um, in 19th century England. And what, he, he ran many ministries, but what he's most well known for was running orphanages. You see, orphans in that time period, and especially in England, um, they had two choices. They could live on the street or they could be in workhouses all the time. It was a desperate, difficult situation, and George Mueller began to look after them. He would take them in, he would feed them, he would clothe them, he would educate them. At one time, he had more than 2,000 orphans in his care. Over the course of decades, he looked after more than 10,000 orphans. He had more than 100 people on his payroll to run these orphanages, and he had not a dime to his name. Here's what's amazing, is George Mueller never made the needs of this orphanage known to anybody, except for to God in prayer. And he kept a journal about it. And his journals are filled with more than 50,000 specific answers to prayer. 30,000 of them were answered the same day he prayed them. That's more than 500 answered prayers a year for 60 years on average. God funneled more than half a billion dollars in today's money through his hands and into the orphanage. For some reason, God responds to believing prayer. For some reason, God responds to our faith. I want to read you this text and then explain it. First uh, John chapter 3, starting in verse 22, it says this. We receive from him whatever we ask, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. So we see in this text that God answers prayers for people who believe in his son and who love each other. So is that like the magical formula? Is that how we earn God's answers? Well, let me just say we don't earn anything from God. Because to earn something from God puts God in our debt. Look at, look at everything that I've done, you owe me. 
I followed your prescription, Lord. You owe me. That's not, that's not the idea. Instead, John Piper explains it like this. Prayer has a specific design. If you misuse it, it malfunctions like anything. What is the design of prayer? Prayer is designed by God to be the effect of faith and the cause of love. Therefore, if we try to pray when we do not really believe in the name of his son, prayer malfunctions. If we try to pray when our aim is not to love, prayer malfunctions. There's something about believing in Jesus and loving others that gives power to a prayer life. It's not a magical formula. It's something that happens when we are dependent on Jesus. And it's dangerous to put responsibility of an outcome on us. But many denominations, many churches, you've, you've heard many messages that say, you had a tragedy? What sort of unrepentant sin is there in your life that's caused this tragedy? You prayed and you weren't healed? You must not have had faith. Don't buy it. God is able to respond. And the second thing is he's able to change us in the process. See, our faith is not in an outcome. It's in God. The object of our faith is not the outcome. God is glorified when, as we pray, our hearts begin to match his heart for the situation. We don't always get the outcome, but when we pray in belief and in love, we always get more Jesus. We don't always get the outcome, but when we pray in belief and love, we always get more Jesus. We're always being conformed into his image. Uh, we, often we quote this text in Psalm 37, 4, that God will give me the desires of my heart. Have you ever heard someone say that? One of the good things about Christianity is God's going to give you the desires of your heart. Well, we leave the beginning of that text out. It says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. What it means is as we are conformed into the image of Jesus, as we pray in belief and love, we are grown to be more like him. Our, our heart begins to sync up with his heart. The things he wants become the things we want. In effect, we start to desire what God desires. God's going to give us the desires of our heart because we desire what he wants. So back to Luke 11, Jesus says that the neighbor whose door you knock on in the middle of the night will say, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. So in this time period, it was, it was very common to have a single room home. This room is where everything happens. There are no walls. There is no privacy. And even in that, there's, a, there's kind of a corner where everyone's going to sleep. So this man means, in a very literal way, it's, it's unlike what we know with our um, multi-story houses or even a, a long ranch. It's unlike that where it's like, gosh, I don't want the door to creak and then to hear me coming down the hallway. It's, dude, you're knocking on our only door. In the middle of the night, you're knocking on our only door, and we are actually here next to each other sleeping. Leave me alone. You'll wake my family up. Then he says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, 
He will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For whoever asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks will be open. So this man just makes a business decision at some point. He's like, if this guy keeps knocking, it doesn't matter if I get up and disturb everybody. He's going to wake everybody up. So I'm going to get up and answer the door. And yet it's not trying to teach us about God's motivation. It's trying to teach us about the prayer person's motivation, the one who's knocking on the door. What he's saying is uh, this, this word impudence. It actually, uh, in, in other translations, they say it this way. Your shameless persistence. I love that phrase. If anyone's reading along in their Bible, whose Bible says shameless persistence in this place? It's probably, yeah, shameless persistence. What a neat way to say this. That this man didn't care if he looked dumb knocking on a door at midnight. He didn't care if he looked insane knocking. He had a purpose. He was entirely dependent on what was inside that door that he was knocking on. Pride could not have been a factor. Shameless persistence got the job done. And God desires that we keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Isaiah 62, 6 through 7 uses the same idea. It says it this way. All the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. Give him no rest. Talking about God. Until he establishes Jerusalem. Give him no rest. This is what it's teaching us. That God wants you to call on him over and over and over. He wants you to keep asking. He wants you to, he says, give me no rest. Keep knocking on my door. Keep asking me. Keep depending on me. In, the, in church culture, we kind of have this thing that we do where we'll pray about something and then we use this phrase. I don't know where we got it. I've given it to God. I've given it to God. That one that I pray for, I gave him to God. Now I'm going to pray for somebody else. I've prayed as much as I can for that and that's not what Luke 11 teaches us about praying, especially for somebody else. Jim Simbola is the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle, and uh, it's this church that, when he started pastoring it, went from about 15 people in an old rickety building to this mega, mega, mega church, and, and he's, he's certainly a man of prayer, and he tells the story of his daughter who was far away from the Lord, living just a reckless, sinful life, one that he certainly did not raise her to live, and he was totally broken over her, but one day he just felt so impressed that he wasn't praying for her anymore. He used to pray for her. He used to be broken. He wasn't praying enough. And so he began to pray. Well, one night, they have this prayer meeting every week on Tuesdays. One night, someone in his church uh, at this prayer meeting just says, uh, Pastor Jim, I think we should be praying for your daughter. And he says that what began to happen is the entire focus of that prayer meeting shifted to just praying for his lost daughter. He says it was more like a desperate delivery room type atmosphere. But 32 hours after that prayer meeting, his daughter was standing in his living room. And she said, Daddy, I have sinned against God. I have sinned against you and Mom. Please forgive me. And she repented of her sin. But she said something else that's incredibly powerful. She said, Dad, who was praying for me? 
See, there's power in prayer. I have a very similar story of a family member of mine that um, was just living a life totally reckless and separate from the Lord. And I, I began to lead a student ministry in this idea of how to pray and that we need to be praying. And God just impressed on my heart, you're not even praying for this family member anymore. You're, you've asked You've sought, you've knocked, but, but I said keep asking. I said keep seeking. I said keep knocking. And so I was, I was broken, and for two weeks, even though I hadn't talked to this family member in months, for two weeks I began to pray for her. God, would you do something that I can't? I've shared the gospel with her. I've, I've, God, I poured out my heart for her. I used to do all of these things to see her come to know you. God, would you do something? And two weeks into that, though I had not talked to her in months, like I said, she calls me. My phone rings. I see it. It's her. And this is what she says. She said, Tyler, I want to know Jesus like you know Jesus. Will you tell me how? We serve a God who is able to respond and who changes us in the process. And maybe you have a story like this. Maybe you have stories where you called on God to do something that you could never do. And you saw him do something incredible. It's what we pray about every Sunday morning when we pray for our one. It's why we had those guided prompts today is so we'll understand that it's not just a simple God do something. But God would you open the eyes of their heart. Would you give them ears to hear? Would you, God, do something inside of them that my words have never been able to do? Can I encourage you today that prayer isn't some magical formula? It's not some acronym. It's, it can be an acronym. That those are helpful. But it's not some these and thou's perfect thing. It's, it's a heart of desperation calling on God to do something. It's dependent. It's I can't, but you can It's knocking and then continuing to knock. It's asking and then continuing to ask. It's seeking and continuing to seek. Because he says it this way. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be open. It's calling on the one who can help, like George Mueller did, like Jim Simbola did, like, like many in this church have in those times of desperation. And God can change our circumstances through prayer, but he can also change us in the process. Uh, LHC family, we're closing, and I just want to leave you with this. We are that desperate neighbor. It doesn't matter what you've accomplished in life. It doesn't matter what you've provided. It doesn't matter where you live or what your education is. We are that desperate neighbor. And until we realize that, we will not be dependent on God in prayer. And it doesn't matter how many campuses this church has if we try to base anything off of ourselves instead of humbling ourselves before the the creator of all the universe and saying, God, I can't, but you can We won't be accomplishing anything of eternal value until we do that. So I'm going to pray for you. I'm just going to pray that the Lord uh, shows us what it looks like to 
humble ourselves before him and pray and seek his face and turn from our sinfulness and say, God, I can't, but you can. I know everything that pride whispers in my ear, but God, the posture of prayer is that I need you. I'm going to pray for us for that. I'm going to pray that for many of us who have laid down prayer requests and said, I've given it to God, that we would pick them back up, that we'd understand that prayer is just knowing that we can't do this, but God is big, that God is able, that he's able to to not just respond to our prayer by doing something in the circumstance, but that he can change our hearts in the process. God, we love you. God, don't let us walk out of this place just going, that was a neat pep talk. God, right now shine a light on our need, shine a light on our incapabilities, highlight our own brokenness, our own ineptitude. Lord, would you just show us how desperately we need you? God, don't let us only see that in times of crisis. God, right now, for many in this place, in times of prosperity, show us, Lord. Show us that we need you. Show us that the greatest way you could ever answer our prayer is by giving us more of you. God, for some people in this room, Lord, we really for probably everybody, we have people we know that don't know you. God, today, at the start of prayer week, let us commit to not just knocking once, but to keep knocking. Let us commit not just to asking once, but to keep asking. To not just seek out for a moment, but to keep seeking, God, because you remind us that that's what you want. You want us to give you no rest, like Isaiah says. You want us to keep going. You want us to depend so heavily on you, God, that you get all the glory. God, I pray that through this you would change us so much, God, that we would be the greatest prayer warriors in our families. That we wouldn't depend on our moms and grandmothers. God, show us what it looks like to have a thriving prayer life that depends on you, and we'll thank you. 